you haven't already, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 4. Daniel chapter number 4. As you're turning there, let me just give you a brief review. Remember, as we go through the book of Daniel, this is a very important book in understanding Bible prophecy. In fact, I would say you cannot understand Bible prophecy in the New Testament without having a good grounding in the book of Daniel. It is that important. Many different subjects, many terms will be used in books in the New Testament, particularly the book of Revelation, which will be hearkening back to the book of Daniel. Very important. And as we look at the book of Daniel, remember the first six chapters of the book of Daniel deal with history. The last six chapters of the book of Daniel deal with prophecy. Now that is not a law, it's just a a guideline for the book. As we know in Daniel chapter number 2, in the story of Nebuchadnezzar's great image, we see prophecy in that passage. And when we get into the prophecy chapters in the book of Daniel, there will be places where you'll see briefly mentioned some history. So they are interchangeable, but that's primarily the outline of the book of Daniel. This chapter is very interesting in the fact that what we're going to read here is a message not from Daniel, but from Nebuchadnezzar. This is Nebuchadnezzar's message to you and to every person that reads the book of Daniel. The title of the message today is The Humbling of King Nebuchadnezzar. The Humbling of King Nebuchadnezzar. And let's go ahead and begin with um, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We'll begin as Nebuchadnezzar begins his story. The Bible says in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. So Nebuchadnezzar begins with an introduction to us, and I want you to understand something. It's very interesting that in the very first verse, we read this message, peace be multiplied unto you. Peace be multiplied unto you. Of course, he's speaking to everyone. He said to all people, all languages, all nations, everyone in the world. That includes us. He, give, he wishes us peace. Why is that interesting in this passage here? Well, number one, this is a stark difference to the way Nebuchadnezzar spoke to people before. Pay attention, there's a difference And now, how Nebuchadnezzar's talking to people. We understand his nature in chapter 1. Remember, when Daniel was wanting to not take part in the king's meat, the person in charge over Daniel said, Look, I understand what you're wanting to do, but understand this. It's not only your head that's in danger. If you don't eat that meat, my head's in danger too by the king. Nebuchadnezzar was a ruthless man. He was also very hasty. Remember when he got angry about nobody being able to interpret his dream in Daniel chapter number 2? What was his first recourse? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut you up in pieces. I'm going to turn your house into a landfill. That's what I'm going to do to you. Remember how he responded to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter number 3. He said this, Guys, if you don't bow down to this thing, I'm going to heat up the furnace seven times hotter than it ought to be, and I'm going to throw you in it. He's not a person that speaks easily or kindly to people. But all of a sudden, in Daniel chapter number 4, there's a change. 
in His nature. And in order to understand what's going on here, understand Nebuchadnezzar has changed by the time we read Daniel chapter number 4. This is similar to how Paul began his epistles. And um, I think this is important to understand. Remember, when you see the word epistle in the New Testament, the epistle of Paul, or maybe the epistle of John, 1 John, and so on and so forth. Remember, the word epistle is just a fancy word for letter. That's what epistle means. So Paul in his letters began basically the same way that Nebuchadnezzar did. Philippians chapter 1 verse 2 says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in Titus chapter number 1 verse 4, not only when he's talking to a church, but even when he's talking to individuals. What does he say? He says to Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and what? Peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Nebuchadnezzar has left talking like a ruthless person, a cruel person, and now he's starting to sound like a Christian. He's starting to sound like a saint, and very similar to the way that Paul would write concerning um, speaking to people concerning the Lord. Very important to understand that. Now he's began his message, now he's going to begin to tell you his story. We see in Daniel chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, we see that Nebuchadnezzar dreams again. He has a second dream. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. So he has a dream that troubles him. He can't stay asleep. He's pondering the thoughts of the vision that he had. And so what does he do? He seeks out the interpretation of his dream. We see this in Daniel 6. It says, Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they, may, they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and I told them the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. So again, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the soothsayers, the magicians, all the Chaldeans that he brings in, fail Nebuchadnezzar when he asked for the interpretation of the dream. Now remember the last time he asked the folks, he said, first tell me my dream and then give me the interpretation. They said, look, I can't give you an interpretation until you tell me the dream. That's Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter number 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, here's my dream, just tell me what it means. He's not playing games with them. He flat out tells them the dream. And still, his men cannot interpret it for him. Now this strikes me as odd that Nebuchadnezzar just doesn't go to the guy who figured it out in the first place. He asks everybody else before he finally gets to the person who interpreted the dream and even told him what the dream was in the first place that he had forgotten. However, he finally gets to Daniel. The Bible says Daniel was the last person that hears it. Look at verse number 8. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretations thereof. 
notice, Nebuchadnezzar, even though he believes in God, understand this, Nebuchadnezzar believes in Jehovah. But he believes in Jehovah the way most people in the world believe in Jehovah. Most people in the United States, how they believe in God is the same way that Nebuchadnezzar did. He says, yes, there is a God. I recognize His power. He is a revealer of secrets. I understood that in Daniel chapter number 2. Hey, He is a rescuer from destruction. I understood that in Daniel chapter number 3. However, I do, even though I do believe in the God of the Hebrews, I also believe in my God. Notice He names Daniel. He says, now the last person to come to me is Daniel, but then He gives him the name Belteshazzar again. Why does He name him, give him the name Belteshazzar? Because He says, that's the name according to my God. Daniel's the name that the Hebrews gave him. And he is named after God. The, Bible, the name Daniel simply means God is my judge, or my judge is God. That's what Daniel means. He says, I named him after my God. And then he says, look, I understand that you have in you the spirit of the, notice his phrase there, the holy gods. So he believes in Jehovah, but he believes in all these other gods as well. Doesn't that sound a lot like the way America holds up religion today? Look, you believe in your God and that's fine. Your God works for you, but guess what? The God of the Muslims works for them. The God of the Buddhists works for them. You believe what you want to believe. All these ways will get you to God. These ways will get you to heaven. In other words, one God is as good as another. That's the idea of Nebuchadnezzar. Understand, it's not just that you believe in God that brings about salvation. You have to believe in only God. Remember, the Ten Commandments simply teaches this, Thou shalt have no other God before me. We have to believe in God alone. Nebuchadnezzar has not yet reached that point. So he compliments Daniel, and he says, I'm sure you're going to be able to tell me my dream. So now Nebuchadnezzar relates the dream to Daniel. Let's look in verse number 10. Thus were the visions of my head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all the beasts of the field, I meant for all, the beast of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the, the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. So we see here in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, first we see the great tree. And notice how it's described. It's in the midst of all the earth. It is so large that all the beasts of the field can receive shade under it. Hey, it's so large that all the birds in the air can rest in its branches. The fruit of it is so plenteous that all the birds, all the beasts, can eat of the fruit thereof, the meat thereof, and be fed and be nourished. So this is an incredible tree. The biggest tree anyone has ever seen. But we see next that that great tree is cut down. Look at verse number 13. 
I saw the visions in, of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. So we see the great tree is cut down. However, the Bible tells us that the root remained. Verse 15, Nevertheless, leave the stump of the roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the Spirit of the holy gods is in thee. So now he has explained to us his dream. So I want you all to understand these things. First, there is a great tree, so large that all the beasts can be shaded by it, that all the birds can find rest upon the um, branches of it. Hey, it's so fruitful that every animal on the earth, whether it be a beast or whether it be a bird, can eat of the fruit. There's food for all. It nourishes, it shelters, it feeds all the animals. But then someone comes down from heaven and commands that that great tree be cut down. However, the roots are not removed. Someone does not pull the stump out of the ground. The stump remains and is given a band of iron and a band of brass. And it remains for a period of time. The heart of the tree is changed from the heart of a man and is given over to a beast, into the heart of a beast for a period of time. This is the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Now Daniel has heard it. And I want you all to notice this about Daniel. The Bible says in verse number 19, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonied for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. Let's stop right there. Daniel is silent at the message of King Nebuchadnezzar. The word there, astonied, that's an old word. We use this word today instead of it, astonished. Anybody ever heard of the word astonished? By the way, do you all know what the word astonished actually means? The word astonished simply means this, better explained by the word astonied actually. The word actually means like a stone. What does a stone do? Nothing, does it? It stays still, right? So when you're astonished or astonied, what do you do? You freeze up. You don't talk. Daniel's quiet for an hour. Daniel's in the limelight. He's in front of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. The court is all sitting and waiting for Daniel to deliver the message. What is it that God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know from this dream? And you know what? When the dream is told to him in front of everybody, behind the pulpit, folks, he stands there for an hour 
and doesn't say a word. Isn't that something? You're in front of the king. Imagine being in front of Donald Trump. Donald Trump has called you to the White House, okay? You're in the Oval Office. He has a question of national importance for you to answer. And he asks you the question, and what do you do? Nothing for an hour. How many of y'all would wait if I got up behind the pulpit and just stood here for an hour? How many of y'all would enjoy that, huh? Well, Nebuchadnezzar listens to this, and it begins to bother him a little bit. Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Notice this. Why was Daniel troubled? It wasn't that he didn't know the message, that he didn't understand the interpretation. When the dream was related to him, immediately upon hearing it, Daniel knew exactly what the dream was about and who it was delivered against. It bothered Daniel. And sometimes God's message, preachers understand this very well. Brother Andrew, I'm sure you've experienced this. Of course, Brother Wayne's experienced this. Many times when God's message is given to us, sometimes it's a happy message. There's sometimes, Brother Wayne, when you get up and it's fun to preach, wouldn't you agree? But sometimes God's message is a hard one. It's not easy. However, both of them need to be preached. Happy or hard, um, pleasant or unpleasant, God's message must be preached. Daniel knew what it was about. And he begins to give the interpretation upon the message. Let me go back to verse number 19, the very end of it. The Bible says in the end of verse 19, Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowl of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong. For thy greatness is grown and reacheth up unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth. Even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High God, and the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, 
and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar's dream is now interpreted. And what does Daniel tell him? Look, you're the tree. You've been great. You've built a great empire. All nations and all people dwell beneath your boundaries. Hey, it's through your fruit that all the nations are fed and all the nations are sheltered. You're a great and mighty king. However, God has commanded to you to humble you that your kingdom will be taken away from you. And for all your luxury, and for all your dignity, and for all your nobility, it will be removed from you, and you will be driven into the field, and you will live like an animal, so much so that the great king of Babylon, upon whose table even Daniel himself and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fed, his great table will be taken away from him, and instead of eating such delicacies that Babylon could provide, Nebuchadnezzar will eat grass like an ox. And instead of living in a rich palace, the Bible says the dew of heaven will be upon you. In other words, you're going to live outside. When the dew falls, it's going to fall on your back. You will not live even in a cave. You will live out in the open. And this period of time that will go on with you will be for a period, Daniel says, of seven times. Seven times. What is seven times? Well, here's, a, here's an important key word in prophecy, and I'm going to teach you what seven times means. In the Bible, Bible prophecy, the term time, time, is one year. So how many is seven times? Seven years. Don't take my word for it. This will be used again and again. Let me give you one passage outside the book of Daniel for this. Revelation 12, 14. And we're going to see this in the book of Daniel in just a minute, the same phrase we see right here. Revelation 12, 14, the Bible says, And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for, now notice this, a time time, and times and half a time from the face of the serpents. Now when we see this phrase, this is hearkening back to Daniel. Back to this passage right here and in another passage I'm going to show you in a minute. Now to understand how long this is, remember, how long is one time? One year. So we see that she's going to be nourished in the wilderness from the face of the serpent a time, so one year. Now when it says times, that means two years. So we see a time and times. One plus two equals what? Three. And then half a time. How long is half a time then? Half a year, six months. So what's the period of time in, Daniel, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 14? Three and a half years. Very good. Y'all know math. Now let's take our Bible... So I can show you that what I'm telling you is the truth. And let's look at Daniel chapter number 12. We have plenty of time. Daniel chapter number 12. We're going to see the exact same phrase we see in Revelation 12 in Daniel chapter number 12. 
look in verse number 7 of Daniel 12. Daniel 12, 7. Notice Daniel says, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be, now notice what it says, it shall be for a time, times, and in half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So we see the same phrase that we see in Revelation. We see time, times, and a half in Daniel chapter 12. Now Daniel chapter 12 doesn't want you just to believe what I'm telling you to be true. It explains how long time, times, and a half is at the end of the chapter. Stay in Daniel chapter 12 and look at verse number 11. Daniel chapter 12, verse number 11. Notice this, it says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh, maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Now pay attention to this, folks. We see in Daniel chapter 12, verse 7, it is explained just like it is in Revelation 12, 14. We are given that it's a time, times, and a half. Now, they make it even more specific in verse number 11 when they say that same period of time given in Daniel 12, 7 equals how many days? 1,200, excuse me, 1,300, and excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong thing, 1,290 days. Do you all see that? Guess what? That period of time right there, according to Jewish time, is three and a half years. 1,290 days. Now, some of y'all are saying, it can't work out. 365 days are in a year, right? Wrong in the Bible. In the Bible, a Jewish year goes by the period of a month. There are only 30 days in a month for all their months. So, 12 months is what? 360. Three and a half years equals 1,290. Thus, we understand that a time represents one year. I went to Bible college and had to sit in a class to learn that. Y'all just learned it today, so good job, okay? All right, let's go back to Daniel chapter number 4. Daniel chapter number 4. So Daniel prophesies to Nebuchadnezzar that he's going to be removed from his kingdom, he's going to be removed from his palace, He's going to be removed from his food and his clothing and he's going to run around out in the field for how long? Seven years. Seven years. That's a judgment. Nebuchadnezzar hears it and notice what we see in verse number 29. Nebuchadnezzar hears the message and immediately when he hears the message, a voice from heaven comes down. And an angel accompanies the voice and they grab Nebuchadnezzar, drive him from the presence of Daniel and he's out in the fields for seven years. That's not how it happened. Notice it says in verse number 29, the Bible says, at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. So understand this. Once Daniel's prophecy is given, Nebuchadnezzar's life continues on as before. Now this dream bothered Nebuchadnezzar one year ago. How many of y'all have been afraid of something and you notice something about your fear that over time 
that specific thing that you are afraid of, because of the passage of time, the fear seems to go away, wouldn't you agree? Hey, maybe some of y'all, when y'all were little, were afraid of bugs. Some of y'all got over that, right? I didn't. I'm ashamed to say it. If we have a bug in the house, Angie gets rid of it. Hey, before you make fun of me, I want you to understand something. Dr. Lee Robertson was just as scared of bugs as I am. And guess who got rid of the bugs in Dr. Lee Robertson's house? Mrs. Robertson. So I'm in good company, right? Not as good a preacher, but I'm in good company, all right? Nebuchadnezzar, that dream bothered him a year ago. I imagine after a year's passed, he's probably forgotten about the dream. That dream's not keeping him up anymore. That message Daniel delivered is not as important anymore. After all, it's been a year. Nobody's bothered me. The kingdom is going great. There's nothing happening. There's nothing going wrong in my reign. But the year passes and we see Daniel's dream begin to take effect. Look at verse 30. We see Nebuchadnezzar's foolish boast. In verse number 30, the Bible says, remember, at the end of 12 months, What's Nebuchadnezzar doing? He's walking around in his palace. He's in the kingdom of Babylon. He says in verse 30, The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house and of the, uh, for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? So do you see what Nebuchadnezzar does here? He's walking around and I imagine... He looks out and he sees the great ziggurat of Babylon, that great step pyramid, reached up into the sky, one of the largest buildings ever built at that time. And Nebuchadnezzar can see the majesty of that great ziggurat that he had built. I imagine he, as he's walking by outside the windows of his palace, he can see the great hanging gardens that he built for a girl that he had fallen in love with so many years earlier. Why the hanging gardens of Babylon would become one of the seven wonders of the world. Up there with the lighthouse of Alexandria. Up there with the great pyramids. Up there with the Colossus of Rhodes. A wonder, the hanging gardens of Babylon. And he looked at that and he thought about the great kingdom that he had conquered. What does he say to himself? This is great Babylon. Babylon! I built it. I made it great. I conquered the empire. This shows my strength and my honor and my glory. He makes a foolish boast. And as soon as he says it, notice verse 31. It says, while the word was in the king's mouth, while he's saying it about how great his kingdom is, notice what the Bible says. There fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, seven times is how long? Seven years. Until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Nebuchadnezzar's dream is now fulfilled. Look at verse number 33. The same hour was the thing fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar says out loud, boasting of his great kingdom, how great Babylon is. 
and how it was built because of His strength and for His honor and for His glory. And I imagine He's going to continue on talking, but all of a sudden, boom! Right in the middle of it comes a voice from heaven to interrupt Him. He's going no further in His statement. God says, now is time for your kingdom to be taken away from you. Hey, He's at His most prideful. And God takes the proud, and what does He do to them? He humbles them. He brings them low. And the Bible says in verse 33, the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Now I want you all to understand something here. Nebuchadnezzar didn't start turning into an animal. We get this idea that his hair all of a sudden started turning into bird feathers. What does that mean? Has anybody ever, the best way I can describe it, I haven't seen it with a person, so I don't want to say it about somebody, and then it's like your mom was like that or something. I don't want to say it, but. <laughs> has any of y'all ever seen a dog that hasn't been washed in a long time? He's been running around, he's been getting in the mud and other things he shouldn't be rolling around in, and when you see him, his hair's all matted. You know, almost, you can imagine, it's all matted together into little scales or you can even imagine in a way feathers. Nebuchadnezzar's hair's growing. Seven years out in the open, nobody's cutting his hair. It's growing long. He's rolling around in the mud. The rain's falling on his back. His hair's getting matted down to the point where it no longer resembles hair so much as feathers. In other words, he looks nasty. Not only that, the Bible says his, his nails become like eagle's claws. In other words, they grew long. Nobody's cutting them. Hey, he has no manicurist out there. Them nails are growing long, dirty, hard, nasty. I can imagine with fungus in them and all that nasty stuff, okay? He's nasty. He's somebody you would avoid if you saw him. He stinks. He's dirty. He's nobody you would want to know. Everybody thinks they're much better than Nebuchadnezzar because... That's about as nasty as you can get. Come on, Nebuchadnezzar, take a bath. Everything about Nebuchadnezzar has been stripped away from him. His kingdom, his palace, his food, his glory, his honor. He's as low as you can get. Crawling around in the dirt. What's his food? Grass. And the Bible says in verse 34, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is restored after seven years. He's restored to the kingdom. His understanding comes back to him. He's no longer crawling around in the grass. He now has a heart of a man. And his kingdom is restored. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar then begins to praise the Lord in the last three verses. The Bible says, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. Or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and my brightness returned unto me. 
And my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Do you all see a difference now in Nebuchadnezzar? Remember I said pay attention to how he's talking at the beginning. He's talking with peace. He's no longer cruel and ruthless. He's offering peace to everyone who hears him, speaking with kindness. Notice, he's no longer saying, Daniel, you have the spirit of the holy gods. He's not talking about gods, plural, anymore. Now listen to him. He says, I understand the Most High. His kingdom is forever. His dominion is from generation to generation. I trust in him and I recognize him alone. This is the end of the story of Nebuchadnezzar. We move on into Daniel chapter number 5. Nebuchadnezzar's dead and buried. This is the last we hear in the story concerning Nebuchadnezzar, besides just an off reference to him. And the last thing we hear about Nebuchadnezzar is his own message, his own testimony. So, in conclusion, at least for Nebuchadnezzar, I got a question for you. Will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? In other words, was he a true believer? In God. I'm not asking was he a Christian. Of course he wasn't a Christian. Understand, folks in the Old Testament were not Christians, but they did believe in God. Will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? Well, let me explain to you what we've learned from Daniel chapters 1 through 4 concerning Nebuchadnezzar. First, in Daniel chapter number 1, we see Nebuchadnezzar the non-believer. Nebuchadnezzar the non-believer. You look in Daniel chapter number 1, Here's the key word about Nebuchadnezzar. He is ruthless. And he doesn't care about anyone or anybody. He doesn't care about the Jews' God. They're going to do what I tell them to do or I'm going to kill them. He's ruthless. Hey, he drags Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from their homeland as teenage boys and drags them all the way to Babylon never to see Israel again. Here's the thing. Daniel would never again step foot in Israel once he left as a young boy from Babylon. Cruel and ruthless was Nebuchadnezzar. He was a non-believer. However, in Daniel chapter 2, we see that Nebuchadnezzar moves from being a non-believer to a notional believer. In other words, hey, he's willing to accept the notion of God. After all, what did Daniel do for him? He did tell him his dream... Hey, he did interpret it. He understands, as he says in Daniel chapter number 2, that Daniel's God is the revealer of secrets. Hey, he'll, he'll admit that yes, there is a God that Daniel worships. And yes, that God does have power. He will accept the notion of God, but he hasn't put his trust in that God. We see that Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 is the notional believer. In Daniel chapter number 3, we see that Nebuchadnezzar is the nominal believer. Or let me put it this way, believer in name only. Believer in name only. Hey, he's recognized in Daniel chapter number 2 that God is a revealer of secrets. He sees through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When the story begins, what's he doing? Hey, he's building his own statue. Hey, you're going to worship my religion. I'm going to create a whole new religion and everybody's going to 
bow down to my God. In Daniel chapter 3. When the three Hebrew children don't do it, Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the fiery furnace. And guess what? In Daniel chapter number 2, the astrologers of the Chaldeans and all those men said, King, we cannot tell you what your dream is. You see, that doesn't happen amongst men. The only way that can be found is if you could go up into heaven to where the gods are. Nebuchadnezzar had a notion about God. But God's up there. God's not down here. But that changed when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fiery furnace and he didn't see three men thrown in there. He saw four. What did he recognize? He said that fourth one, his form is like unto the Son of God. In other words, no longer for Nebuchadnezzar is the idea that gods are all in heaven. No, the one true God has shown himself on earth in the fiery furnace. But he's still not a believer. He'll admit it, hey, I see the power of your God. You've got a great God. So I'm a believer in name only. Hey, he's got a cognitive understanding of God, but he doesn't have a heart knowledge concerning God. When we get to Daniel chapter number 4, we then see Nebuchadnezzar, the genuine believer. Now here's his experience. No longer is it Daniel interceding to him. I mean, interceding for him to God concerning his dream. By the way, always remember this about Israel. In the book of Exodus, if you've been doing your Bible reading, we just read through this in the book of Exodus this week. God said in Exodus chapter number 19 in our daily Bible reading that He would make Israel, I love this term, He would make them a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. What does He mean by that? Remember, only the Levites are priests, but He said... Israel would become a kingdom of priests. Everyone would be a priest. What did that mean? What is a priest? Sometimes we don't have a definition or understanding of what these titles mean. A priest is someone who intercedes for someone to God. He's the middleman. You go to the priest with your sacrifice. You don't offer the sacrifice. The priest offers the sacrifice for you. For Nebuchadnezzar, when he wanted the dream interpreted, who did he have to go to? Can I put it this way? He had to go to a Jew. Why? Because Israel was the kingdom of priests. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to, to be able to understand what God was trying to tell him. Who did he have to find? He had to find the Jews. Everything in Daniel's chapter number 2 and 3 has always been through a middleman. Hey, he saw the Son of God in the fire. He was not in the fire. Who was in the fire with the Son of God? the three Hebrew children. But now, Daniel chapter number 4, Nebuchadnezzar gets his own experience of God. God takes them now. He brings them down. He brings them into the field. He drives them from men. And once God's done with them, then God raises them back up. And because of that, Nebuchadnezzar is a changed man. He's no longer ruthless. He's no longer cruel. He's no longer someone with just a notion of who God is. He's no longer somebody who's a believer in name only. No, now he is the genuine article. So will Nebuchadnezzar be in heaven? Yes, he will. Let me ask you one more question. Why? Why will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? Why will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? Good answer, but it's not mine. Let me give you the answer. 
because of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because of their faith, because of the stand they took, because they were not willing to compromise, because they were not willing to bow down, because they put their trust in God and they let other people know about it. Nebuchadnezzar, through Daniel chapter number 1, through Daniel chapter number 4, learned about God because of the faith of four Hebrew young men. And sometimes we live in a wicked world and we say, we cannot make a difference. We cannot make a change in our world. Daniel lived in a world very similar to ours. A world where they had no understanding about God. Where they were not concerned about the things of God. You're going to eat our food. You're going to drink our wine. You're going to do it our way. You're going to bow down to our God. You're going to listen to our music and worship our way. And they took a stand. And what did their testimony do? Why, it converted the king of the wicked nation of Babylon. Babylon, which will be named time and time again throughout the Bible, all the way to the book of Revelation. It'll be called the Scarlet Harlot. It'll be considered the mother of all idolatries, yet the founder of the empire at the end of his life came to believe in God alone through the testimony of who? Four teenage boys who took a stand for God. Don't ever say you can't do it. Don't ever say the culture's too hard. We see from Daniel chapters 1 through 4 how that people who are willing to take a stand not compromise, and stay true to the Lord our God can make a difference in the darkest and most wicked of worlds. Let us take a stand for God ourselves. Amen? Amen. Brother Wayne.